Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, Max Verstappen led home Lewis Hamilton and George Russell to win the French Grand Prix and the race for the championship with his title rival Charles Leclerc widens as Leclerc crashed out whilst leading the race. He easily led away from pole ahead of Verstappen. In fact, he was almost defending from Lewis Hamilton. He got a mega start, but maybe perhaps a little cautious at the beginning and settled into third place ahead of Perez. And Leclerc would break Verstappen's DRS, and so Red Bull hauled in Verstappen for an early stop onto the hard tyres, and shortly after, Charles Leclerc would crash out at Le Bose, losing the rear of his Ferrari in what he later admitted was completely driver error, running close to the edge of the, edge of the track, very high speed uh, hairpin, and shortly after, his Ferrari team had warned him to look after his medium tyres. Let's discuss what happened in today's French Grand Prix uh, with our assembled team of experts in France. Back at his uh, luxurious accommodation is Luke Smith. We have Jess McFadden and in the UK, Matt Q as well. All right, Luke, we'll start with you as you are there. Were we denied a great race today? Would Ferrari have managed it or did Red Bull have the pace? You've looked at the lap times. What do you reckon on Verstappen's win today? I think we were denied what would have been a very close race between 
Verstappen and Leclerc and even on Verstappen's radio on his uh, in-lap his engineer GP said to him well done and kind of, kind of said yeah sort of bit of a shame really that they didn't get a chance to have a proper fight because I think it would have been very very close I think we saw in that early phase of the race just how how close Verstappen was getting to Leclerc and Verstappen said afterwards he was actually surprised by the the tiny margin he was surprised that he could get close and follow quite well he thought Leclerc would be much much faster so it was setting up really really nicely we know that Red Bull brought in Verstappen quite early but they were thinking more and more about going for the one stop they thought tyre deg wasn't as bad as they were expecting so they wanted to get that undercut get Verstappen in and get him ahead they would have had track position but then you'd end up in this position where Ferrari would have uh, probably yeah kept Leclerc out a little bit longer then brought him in switched him onto the hards and he'd have had that tyre delta against Verstappen and it would have been this probably reverse cat and mouse game that we saw in the first stint where yeah Verstappen would have been ahead of Leclerc Leclerc had the fresher tyres would have been able to catch Verstappen get ahead of him would either of them have considered a second stop uh, I think it would have been a really good race so yeah just a shame that unfortunately we were denies what would have been I think a really good finish and uh, yeah as you said the title fight it just takes another step towards looking like it's a bit of a foregone conclusion unfortunately a lot can swing but 63 points is a huge huge lead for Max Verstappen to have as we near the summer break and Max saying that his Formula One championship lead over Charles Leclerc is bigger than it should be given Ferrari's performance compared to Red Bull nobody wants a hollow victory, but all sports people will take the victory because sometimes you create your own luck and sometimes there is just luck. So he'll still take the points, but Max still wants a fight uh, in the title. He doesn't want to just walk uh, to it uh, or just or, or win by default is, is what I'm trying to ham-fistedly say. So Luke, when you were talking or hearing from the drivers afterwards, what were, what were their reactions? Because from, uh, from the coverage that we saw on TV, Charles Leclerc took this one completely on the chin and said, hands up, this is all on me <laughs> the, the the no scream over the radio i think that's gonna go down in uh yeah f1 radio f- infamy i think it was uh it really just summed up charles mood there and he was yeah naturally just yeah, devastated of throwing it away as he did but he was as you said he did put his hands up very very quickly afterwards there was a bit of confusion uh even from uh, people in the media center myself included when he said about the throttle over the radio so it was sort of a suggestion of were questioned afterwards that we were thinking oh okay was it down to uh, was it a similar issue to what we saw in Austria but it wasn't he was talking about being stuck on the throttle as he was trying to actually get out of the wall but the engine wasn't giving any talk so he couldn't, couldn't get out of there the men's race was over but yeah he was in the media pen he came and saw us and he was yeah naturally very very frustrated he, but he said look this is all on me and with the championship he said yeah I'm, I've got to stop doing stuff like this I, I can't expect to win a championship if I keep throwing away these opportunities and these leads and I think it's uh, yeah, it's been a real, I think, a real hard weekend for him. I think this is another race where Ferrari could have won, should have won, and they've thrown it away. Leclerc threw it away for them today. And it just looks like the title race, it, yeah, it's it's very, very tough to see how things are going to swing around unless Ferrari go on a real run of form and Verstappen and Red Bull start dropping the ball, which they're not doing. Verstappen, he said today that, yeah, you've got to take the points when they come to you. You've got to get, get what you can. We saw that in Austria where, yeah, he didn't have the pace to win, but picked up a solid second place. And that was very, very good for his bigger championship picture. Same thing again today. The outright pace, I think it was very, very close between them. But Verstappen's come away with a massive, massive step forward in the title race. He was, 
I think naturally very, very pleased with, with the performance. But he said, look, we still need to find more. We still need to take another step forward because Ferrari are so strong right now. And I think that it's just a shame that we've got two teams who are so evenly matched. Two drivers, I think, with the racing with real respect for each other. Two great young talents. But at the moment, we're not getting the kind of title fight we should be. And unfortunately, today, that was all down to Charles Leclerc's mistake. Let's start with a discussion on Charles Leclerc and that title battle. Jess, how hard should we be on him? Because I think it's fair to say, although we don't pick favourites, he's a very likeable person. He's a great sports person role model in that when he messes up, he doesn't say, oh, well, you know, the the, the car was loose at the rear end and it went round. He went, I made a mistake. I think it's a great, you know, he, he is genuinely also a really nice guy. But how hard should we be on him? Because... Verstappen and Hamilton and world champions don't make these kind of mistakes too regularly. What are your thoughts on Charles Leclerc's championship battle? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because I guess, to be honest, I mean, we're the media, right? So we comment on everything and we will be as hard as we like on certain drivers. But at the same time, he knows where he's at and we know where he's at. It's almost like one of those things where you don't, you almost don't need to, comment on how bad that was we he's in a championship battle where there's been Ferrari have had such a just so many things go wrong that a driver error they can't afford them which I guess to maybe if you're looking at it from a holistic point of view Ferrari need to be doing better by their drivers I and I definitely think they do I think today was also not only a driver error but a team error too so they had a pretty much a double whammy there in terms of things not going their way um, or just things being played very badly. Um, so it's a it's it's a double it's a double whammy. And, and I think if he, if he wants to be, he knows right. If he wants to be a world champion, he can't be making these mistakes. So we can probably be as hard as as we want on him, and I think we will be. You know, I'm sure driver ratings will not see him very favourably. Um, and we're going to be c- carry on talking about him today and, and what could have been, but he knows it. And I think that's the difference with, with Charles is he's quite, um, he's quite, he owns up to it a lot. Like he, he said from the get go, that was my mistake. I made an error. I don't deserve to be a champion if I'm going to keep making those mistakes. He knows it. So I almost feel like he's doing the job for us and we don't really need to make many comments about it. Um, we will, because that's our jobs, but at the same time yeah you can't consistency in a world championship is key we've seen so many world championships won on consistency uh, and arguably not on outright talent oh getting controversial first first comment in and we're getting controversial um maybe that's another podcast for another time but I think yeah I think he knows he can't afford it because he also can't rely on the team so it's it's one of those scenarios where we know Red Bull don't make these kinds of mistakes. Well, they make them very, very rarely. In terms of team errors or strategy errors, they make them very, very rarely. Their reliability seems to be pretty together. And it's not the same to be said about Ferrari right now. So a driver error is an absolute... You've, you've chucked points away where we're going to... You know, Max was very much... And he, he keeps saying this, isn't he? Every time anybody asks him, oh, can you settle down? Can you relax? You've got such a big buffer now. We're going into the summer break and you're you're well ahead. Um, and he doesn't want to say that 
it's done because it, he's right it's not done I mean in theory he could DNF from every race from now until Abu Dhabi in theory but probability wise he must be sitting pretty pretty um, but to go to Luke's point I think it it says a lot when even Red Bull are frustrated that Ferrari can't get it together and, and give them a good a good race that's that I think almost that's that's almost more cutting than anything that we could write or say or do. If your competitor is like, for the love of God, give us a race. That's, that is, that's savage. That's, that's next level savagery. I mean, Jess is saying we can't, we can't get much more damning than, than the Red Bull comment, but I, I should, sorry, I apologize, I got really sore throat, but I shall try and say that, that for me is, is like less excusable than Vettel 2018 in Germany when it biffs it into the barrier at Hockenheim it's that sort of it'll be that sort of memorable at the end of the season but it wasn't rainy uh, Vettel I believe he was told to stay out that extra lap wasn't he for strategy whereas this was Leclerc trying to sort of overcome the powerful undercut drops it somehow manages to find a wall at Paul Ricard that in himself is an impressive effort going that far off track that he, he manages to biff it completely uh, Horner has said that we think Verstappen would have would have got there anyway. He sort of has to say that it's not the first time that's been said this season. You think back to sort of, uh, I believe it was uh, Spain as well, where Horn is saying, "Oh, if you take uh, Leclerc's engine engine going pop out a bit, then then we win this anyway." I think it's a lot more marginal than that uh, because Paul Ricard was very windy today. It's it's a place it's difficult to follow, sort of negating a lot of the steps have been taken forward with these ground effect cars and this and this thing which uh, I've sort of. Been been keen to keen to write about uh, recently, which is the Red Bull's heavier than the Ferrari. So as the fuel burns off towards the end of the race, that sort of excess, whether it's two kilos, five kilos, contributes a greater percentage of its overall weight. So for every sort of lap you're going off and you're burning off that tenth of fuel, that Ferrari gets quicker in relation to the Red Bull. And so at the end, you can have that really nice late race crescendo, which Leclerc has blown. There's no two ways about it. He has blown. It's a second major error to go with with uh, what he, when he span at Imola and yes Ferrari have dropped the ball this season they've dropped the ball even even with signs in this race which I'm talking about but when those opportunities come you have to take them and if you think about Verstappen the way he's operating beyond a lockup beyond a bit of understeer beyond a bit of you know sliding wide at Imola in in, in the wet in qualifying but still still sort of uh, still getting pole where have the mistakes been where there, there haven't been, there haven't been. That's what we've said about Hamilton time and time again. Uh, Verstappen's flaw last season was that he couldn't race cleanly, but he could still get the job done. He wasn't making mistakes of this level, whereas whereas Leclerc is. And yeah, I'm really sort of beating down on the guy, but you know he's 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 got the opportunity, or he has to take the opportunities when they're presented to him when his uh, car is working, and he hasn't done that. And that is like that is just a, a fundamental flaw. That's that's really critical. We're going to talk about the other Ferrari and Carlos Sainz in a second. I think it's an interesting chat to have about Ferrari strategy. Uh, they were under a fair bit of criticism during uh, the commentary. Luke, let me come back to you, Luke, um, and talk about uh, Hamilton, who got a great start, but knew to back off a little bit and uh, and, and let the front to argue it out. And and that was a sensible strategy. And he, and he built on that with Leclerc uh, falling off the track and then came home in a really solid second. We saw a, a late battle with George Russell and Sergio Perez in the second Red Bull. But yeah, first time that those two teammates have been on a podium together. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, a kind of supplementary question, why do they race really well, but we see a pretty big offset in qualifying? Yeah, I think they can they can take a lot of positives from today. I think that 
that was really the maximum they could have done, second and third. I think that given where they are, which is the third fastest team still, I think that's a, a great result. And coming into this weekend, there was obviously a lot of hubbub around Mercedes' chances, the idea that this would be more suiting to their car as a very flat surface and obviously the, the bouncing issue they've had this season, there wouldn't be such a problem here and things like that. And um, yeah, in the end, that eight-tenth of a second gap we saw in qualifying, it was quite a surprise, I think, even to uh, Lewis Hamilton. He, he said, afterwards that yeah it was uh, odd that they kind of like felt like that he felt really really happy in the car but the relative gap had actually increased which was a bit of a concern so um yeah that was uh, that's not that's not but it didn't have i guess a massive confidence going into the race but then um yeah I think a really, really well-executed race started very well. Obviously, we had science out of position. They both managed to beat Perez on the road as well, which was uh, a, r- a really, really good job. But ultimately, stood no chance to take the fight to Max. Um, our colleague Alex Kalanork has asked Lewis in the press conference after the race about uh, did he think there was any chance to stick with Max? And he said, well, no. He said that the straight line speed of that Red Bull, even when he was full gas, pedal all the way to the floor... Max was just pulling out and pulling out a bigger and bigger gap as as they went along. So I think it was, um, yeah, I think still nevertheless a really good race for them. Uh, I asked Christian Horner afterwards, I said, oh, were you a bit surprised that Mercedes weren't uh, more in the fight given that he'd been the one saying all the all along, oh, I think Paul Ricard's going to be really good for Mercedes. And he said, well, yeah, Mercedes were really talking themselves up coming into this race weekend. And I'm sat there thinking, no, I think you were the one talking them up. But um, yeah, I, I, it's just classic sort of political shenanigans between between uh, the team bosses. But um, yeah, I think that they're still very realistic. They still know that they've got work to do. They know that this was, you take Leclerc out of the picture, Science obviously had the grid penalty realistically. Um, yeah, they, they weren't they, they weren't going to be second and third. So, but same with Max, you play, play the hand you dealt, you take the opportunities when you can. And a really good result, I think, for Mercedes. Just again, it feels like they've made another step forward. The bouncing isn't an issue anymore. And as we go towards the summer break, I think they can start to see a bit of a, a bit of a bigger glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. Earlier in the season, there was all this talk of do they ditch the concept completely? Do they follow the Red Bull concept or the Ferrari concept? And 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 where do you think they're at in terms of car development? Because you know the podiums are coming. The the points are really strong. The pace and qualifying isn't there. Where are Mercedes in your head in terms of that development race? Oh, well, it's tricky because at some point they have to go, we're obviously not winning the championship this year. Let's put full focus onto 23. But unlike last year into this year, there was such an overhaul of the regulations. It was so crucial to make that switch as early as you could. The amount of carryover we're going to see into next year is more of an evolution than a revolution. So really, a lot of work you do this year will actually be very handy for next season. And as you say, Mercedes, they went their own way with with their sort of car concept with that zero pod, slim side pod design. And they're the only team who've stuck with that. And we've seen more and more teams go for more of the the downwash design. And it's left Mercedes as now, now that both Williams have got the updated, uh, updated side pod design, Mercedes is the only ones who stuck to their guns on that. Andrew Shovlin, their trackside engineering director, he spoke earlier this week and said that they're not really thinking about ditching that 
yet because they don't think it's going to lift provide a massive lift in performance or anything like that but he expects the car will look very different next season and Lewis Hamilton again he's been quite clear saying that he knows exactly how he wants next year's car to to look and to operate and to function and the things he doesn't like in this car and what he wants next year's car to be like so um yeah so I think that Mercedes ultimately can keep developing that obviously will hopefully take them closer to Red Bull and Ferrari at the very front we've definitely seen that gap shrink they have been making these steps forward and that will help them for next year as well but there will come a time when yeah you you say right we've kind of done as much as we can with this year's car we've got as much as we want to take on to next year let's start to think a little bit more about uh 2023 uh i yeah i i I do still believe they will win a race this year i think even if they don't make a huge step towards on merit being with ferrari and red bull all the time i think that yeah, there will be a race, one of those crazy races where the third fastest team picks up the win and that'll be Mercedes, which is uh, an odd thing to think after the last eight years of domination. But uh, yeah, this weekend though, I think they can really be pleased with what they did and uh, double podium is a weird thing for Mercedes to celebrate, but for the first time in a very long time, they can do exactly that. Jess, your thoughts on that double podium for the first time this year um, with Mercedes. And also, um, you know, it wasn't a, a legendary race that'll get in the, in the books. This circuit doesn't always provide that, that action. But we saw some interesting uh, uh, battles between Perez and George Russell towards the end. How did you read that towards, towards the end? Uh, and was that a, a well-deserved third for George? What was your take on, on, on that little fight we saw between Perez and Russell? Yeah, well, I guess um, just to kind of jump off Luke's point I think the difference with Mercedes is that they are so consistent and as I was kind of touching on championships can be won on consistency and they are hella consistent and both drivers are pulling out now at this point in the season very consistent results so I think as Luke said they are in prime position to benefit off any mistakes that the top two teams make so um yeah very good position for them and you know it's still (laughs) it is still shocking that they've got a double podium and it's but it is shocking that it's their first double podium since Jeddah last year not Jeddah this year obviously because we went back within six months um but I think yeah that that is still quite it's still quite shocking because based on their um their results so far we I think we still are finding ourselves maybe less and less surprised that they're there but that is just testament to their consistency and their reliability which is something that the other the other two top teams can't always count on so yeah great result for Mercedes with the Perez George incident so what I mean I guess it depends on which area we want to tackle first there was the overtake which was which was a yeah it was an optimistic lunge that because we're at Paul Ricard didn't end with anyone in the gravel or the wall so Perez bailed out of it and, and but both drivers furious on the radio I mean I kind of see both sides of that one yeah and it was quite interesting I mean I know that we only get to hear the radio that the world feed decides to feed to us but um we obviously had a lot of George and George was was absolutely adamant that he was in the right you know stating the new rules for this year about car placement and who's ahead at which point and he was pretty damn sure that he had he'd made that I think that's slightly questionable um I don't think he was quite there so I think I actually think the FI did the right thing in, in just saying that that was a no, you know, no, no investigation necessary. I think we've spoken on previous podcasts that the FIA seem to be um, allowing racy and racing. Like they're, they're kind of unless it's like a, a you know out and out cut dry, that is not on, and that was a bad move. I think when they are that kind of 
marginal, they're allowing it to happen, which I think is good for F1, to be honest, because I think we could be plagued with too many five-second penalties, not five-second stop-go, as the Ferrari strategists thought science had, but that's a new one for me, a five-second stop-go. There's um, a way that science even came back and was like, no, I don't think you're right about that, lads. He's flying around at 200 miles an hour and he's still correcting his own engine. I mean... Th- th- I always try and look at these things with I like giving people benefit of doubt especially when they are operating on in such high pressure conditions that we've we've all everybody on this podcast can probably say that we've said the wrong thing in the heat of the moment or under a lot of pressure or you know when we're talking live or whatever it is and if we listen back we're like damn it of course I didn't mean that so I kind of want to give that benefit of doubt to Carlos's engineer there and just be like he he was he's trying to strategize like he's probably doing he is definitely doing a million things all at once so a slip of a tongue I can kind of forgive maybe but at the point the, the point of his job as well is is to give Carlos very clear information for his race and at that point and throughout the race and as we've seen on multiple occasions it it, it hasn't been very clear and it has been extremely confusing which only leads to more chaos in a in a time where if anything you need your engineer to be fully calm collected which I think we always talk about Max's engineer GP like he is very calm collected I think the only time we can probably talk was when he um what race was it when he was giving him a ton of data information and Max was oh it was the, the when the DRS was broken and uh it, it was like that was the only point where I can I can ever um, remember Max getting that heated with GP giving him information but anyway we digress we were talking about George and Perez um so I think that was yeah I'm glad that it, it wasn't a, a, a penalty for for either driver um but then we got on to the vsc restart which was this this is quite quite interesting so at the time i think it seemed quite like it didn't really seem like a big deal it just looked like perez had been caught sleeping that george had played it really really well with slowing slowing right right down so that he could speed up and use his momentum his acceleration through the corner in order to get a better line um, and get ahead of Perez. And that looked like very clever, very well moved, well done, well done, Russell. Um, but Perez came out afterwards, and I think you guys saw on the um, FIA uh, dash that we get, where we get the messages coming through from the FIA, there seemed to be a problem with the VSC um, restart. We got a number of messages come through. Well, we got the first message saying VSC will restart, and then we didn't restart, and we were all sitting there thinking... Hmm, this should have restarted by now. And then we got a second message, which kind of said, oh, there's an issue here. Um, and Perez said that it was it was that timing glitch that he'd said that he'd been told that the VSC would clear at, I can't remember what it was, like turn nine, something like that. He would be at turn nine when the VSC restarts. Um, or we at the race restart after the VSC. And uh, he, it, it didn't happen. And so he was getting confused by it. And George just took full advantage of that and, and went went ahead. So I think, um, Luke, you got a full explanation from the FIA as to what was going on. But it did seem that it was a technical glitch, right? Um, yeah, so it was a hardware failure for the FIA. And this, this does happen. We saw it in Monaco earlier this year. And basically the computer that was looking after the, the VSC and the, the hardware involved there had a failure. So the backup system kicks in. And the backup system basically it didn't when it kicked in it doesn't pick up automatically oh there's a VSC already in process it's already said it will end so it kind of had to do it again 
So that's why we end up with two VSC ending messages instead of just the one. Whenever there's a VSC ending message, the race will go back to green between 10 and 15 seconds after that. And it is completely random when that happens. All drivers are given the same information exactly at the same time. Perez afterwards, yeah, said that he was he got the totally wrong information. Uh, Christian Horner said, yeah, it seemed like a glitch by the FIA. We need to find out what happened there. And the FIA explained it, but they said that all drivers were given the exact same information at the same time. So Perez has claimed that that was what cost him the podium doesn't really stand up. And it does seem that it, it just seems like Russell absolutely nailed that restart and he was accelerating at just the right time, went to green, could really, really push. Perez was maybe, yeah, caught napping a little bit, sort of maybe a bit confused by what was going on with the messaging, was not ready to accelerate. And that's why I think we saw such a huge speed difference and, Russell was able to sweep past easily and get third. So, uh, yeah, I think that it's maybe a little unfair to say that it was the the FIA glitch that cost Perez the podium because ultimately, to quote many an F1 driver, it's the same for everyone. So let's get on to the second Ferrari car today. Uh, Carlos Sainz pulling off a brilliant drive through the field uh, from the back of the grid on lap 41. Uh, he overtook Perez to get into the podium positions. He was on used medium tyres. There was, whatever it was, 12, 13 laps of the race still to go. And then confusion around box, don't box. He's carrying a five-second time penalty, which he had to serve uh, at some point. So it's a case of, do you just steam off into the distance and hope to get five seconds on the guy behind you? But no, it was come and get some new tyres and, and and use the performance of that Ferrari to fight your way through. It Once again, it seems the best strategist at Ferrari is also the guy driving the car. Matt, you will come to you. Uh, can you talk us through how you saw that today, whether I'm being too harsh on Ferrari, whether it's just, uh, you know, easy pickings these days, uh, because they sometimes invite criticism on themselves, if I say that. What do you reckon? Yeah, in the moment, I was probably more siding with you that they'd lost uh, what looked to all intents and purposes to be third third place and, and uh, that that was done and dusted. Um, and I would also add as well on, on I, I get it, that um, the, the race engineer made a mistake saying sort of five, five seconds stop and go and it was signs to correct them. But he was having to do that at Silverstone as well at a safety car restart. The driver in the heat of the moment is having to outthink the pit wall. That's okay. I understand it's high pressure for anyone, but I still don't think that's quite good enough. It shouldn't be up to science to be, to be making these corrections. But anyway, having, having sort of uh, read up on, on the race afterwards uh, with specific quotes from science, he's, he's, he's accepting now that yeah, probably the way that tire deg or tire behavior was in that final stint, that it was, it was the right thing to do to pit. And th- and that's, that's fine. I, I, I get, I get that. Um, and I agree. I agree with that at the end that, you know, the, the fourth place they eventually got was better than perhaps, you know, they could have worked around track position to try and hold on to third, but that could have also backfired. And, and you know, whether it's an incident like with Leclerc or you sort of, you know, uh, where you, you sort of left a bit of sitting duck at the end. Yeah, that's that's all well and good. But it's again, it's the execution of it. You know, having we haven't talked about yet specifically why he had the five second penalty, which delayed him at, uh, at that stop. So obviously, uh, you know, he had the, was it the right rear was slow and then the rear jack release was bad. And then Albon had to be so on it to, to sort of lock up to not go into the back of him. And then he has a five second penalty, but it's a nine second stop the second time around. So although it's been unseen, five plus the two and a half is, is seven and a half. There's still a one and a half second delay at the second 
second stop so it's Ferrari dropping the ball again and then he's coming out and I know we can talk about timing and what the world feed gets and if there's a little bit of a lag or whatever but certainly the message he's getting about oh coming coming to pit at the end that is is definitely overlapping him either being side by side with Perez or at least teeing up the overtake so it's again it's the execution you know we we can we can see what's going on they have the direct feed of what their drivers on boards are doing and at that point the pit wall only has one fry to focus on it's those little things that shouldn't be happening and 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 are we being harsh overall on Ferrari perhaps because, you know, the initial heat, the moment reaction was, oh, no, it's a, it's a throttle error. That's what's caused Leclerc to go off, not uh, not, not a driver error. And, and, and then same again with, the, oh, they definitely should have kept them out, but maybe not so. But there's still three or three or four cumulative things that add up. And again, when, when Red Bull were effectively, and this is nothing to do with the, the heat of Paul Ricard, but when effectively they're not breaking a sweat, those three or four things, if it is a fight for the lead, is really critical. But where I do want to throw credit is at Science himself. He's you know, like it or not, we can say he's, he's a tacit number two driver at Ferrari. Um, and he's come from the back of the grid with the penalties to get a really respectable fourth, maximise the car. Okay, he had that late pit stop for fresh rubber, but he was, you know, his his race pace was uh, was was uh, well ahead of Verstappen's at the end, fastest guy on track. And you compare that to effectively his, his benchmark, which is Perez. Perez, this is one of his weakest weekends of the year. Uh, I don't know whether it's anything to do with me. I wrote a Ferrari cover feature for Autosport magazine about how well they're doing. Then they've had a terrible run of form. Same with Perez. So maybe I'll pick Verstappen next try and tee up this title fight at the end but this like I know this is really a harsh assessment but considering how far signs has come back from the fact that we had Leclerc retire and and um excuse me sight and signs coming from the back and Perez is still behind those guys uh behind one Ferrari and behind both Mercedes that we have to talk about as like a Gasly slash Albon spec performance where there there is reason that he's not playing rear gunner he's not doing the minimum that's respective of a Red Bull number two when Perez got his contract extension it's fully deserved and I don't think there's a shadow of doubt you know where where there was like uh, a question marks over Albon or Gasly but that was that sort of level of performance where where it just just wasn't at the races really today oh I think they're a mess to put it very bluntly, I think they, they've they just been far too many situations this season already that shows that they are not a well-oiled machine internally when it comes to race strategy. They haven't been clear about which driver they're backing or how. I think they actually, I, I, I actually applauded them in qualifying because they got it right. They used both drivers in order to position their 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 top driver or you know the one who wasn't going to be starting at the back of the grid because their engine had blown up in the previous race. They put they used those two to absolute full effect, and that was I was finally like, oh my gosh, why can't it be like this all the time? And obviously, the the answer is obvious. It's because usually or they want both drivers to be competing and therefore you can't necessarily always use one as the number two um but we've spoken about it before um luke and matt have done videos for us on autosport.com's youtube channel about how you know ferrari really need to be doubling down on the driver that they think is going to take it to max verstappen and maybe they haven't done it as clean cut as they they should be doing um but they know they're just it's it's really messy it's so messy. Like, you know, Matt mentioned the pit stops. Messy. The the calls over the radio where they're asking... I mean, again, like, I don't know, maybe it'd be... I'd, I'd love to talk to more race engineers about this, but the they do seem to put a lot of the calls on the drivers which leave them feeling very frustrated and confused, which isn't their job, right? They're meant to be giving them really clear-cut information. And yes, okay, 
it is important for them to be gathering data from the driver in real time in terms of how is this feeling we're seeing this data compared to what you what you think or what you want that that should happen but not in the way that it, it always feels like they don't know what to do and I know we joke about plan a through to plan z but like that's not like that must be so stressful for a driver to have to keep thinking of all I mean someone could argue oh it's great though because they've got all these different scenarios that they've planned out for and they just move them about in real time but that doesn't seem to be the case it seems to be highly confusing they've dropped the ball both as a team and as, as the drivers individually and that does not a world championship team or driver make that so I think they need to look internally and they need to work out what is it that's that's not right because we've been here before right Bonotto has been criticized for I mean beforehand it was the fact that he was trying to be team principal and um technical uh, director of the same the same uh, bounce so he was taking on too many roles as a senior leadership position but it's not it's not working they're not playing as a team and that's the only way you win titles is when when you play as a team something that struck me yesterday when we spoke to Carlos Sainz and I actually said this on the podcast yesterday to, to Alex we were praising Ferrari's strategy he said it was I think spectacular was the word that we used and I said that's quite an odd thing to be saying about Ferrari team tactics or strategy and then uh, in the in the um, post-race media session, we were talking to Science, he naturally was talking about that. And he said, yeah, I think it's been unfair, some of the criticism we've got about strategy this year. And then you look at something like today and you say, actually, no, it seems fully justified. And But again, Bonotto, Mattia Bonotto was asked about it after the race and he said, no, nope, I think we did all the right calls, everything was fine. And it just seems like no matter what Ferrari do, they say they got it right. And you've got to look at today and say that with science, yeah, it was a tricky situation, had to do the penalty. He thought it'd be marginal getting those tyres to the end. So there was a lot to weigh up, but it just does seem to be this confusion that is undeniable. Like science clearly wasn't sure what was going on. He was clearly frustrated over the radio. So I think it's things like that, that you don't see that from the Red Bulls and the Mercedes. You see that at Ferrari. So it's something that maybe a little more self-reflection, maybe a little more accountability for them just say, actually, no, we did get that wrong or we're not making things as easy as they can be for our drivers because uh, yeah clearly it's gonna it's gonna hurt them and uh, yeah I think it's something that if they want to win a championship if they want to be a serial championship winning operation as their two main rival teams have been in the past decade it's something they must work out Yesterday, after qualifying, Fernando Alonso was telling the media, oh, he's really, really worried about McLaren because they're half a second faster than the Alpines, so he doesn't know what to do about that. So naturally, he would finish sixth ahead of both McLarens. Good old Fernando. In fact, it was Alpine, McLaren, Alpine, McLaren with Alonso, Norris, Ocon and Ricardo in sixth, seventh, eighth and ninth. Uh, Luke, as we work our way down the finishing order, uh, what are you making of that uh, that top of the midfield battle slash development race slash the drives today it's really enjoyable I think the midfield fight this year has been so great all the way from yeah a few tenths separating you finishing like well in Q3 versus getting it knocked out in Q1 I think it's really really cool but I think the fight for P4 it does seem to be boiling down now to Alpine and McLaren Alpine obviously took a step forwards this weekend they were tied on points coming into Alpine's home race and as you said managed to get Alonso and Ocon home in sixth and eighth and yeah Fernando he was pretty he was pretty concerned on Saturday said I was half a second off Lando 
although Lando managed to outqualify the Mercedes cars. But it was, I thought, a really good race from Alonso and from Alpine. Alonso said that he, uh, yeah, thought everything was very well executed. He obviously made a really good start to even get ahead of Russell, but was never going to hold on, and he knew that full well. And uh, yeah, he said everything went very, very smoothly. So he was, he was really pleased with that. I said to him after the race because everyone was pretty hot and sweaty, including the journalists, I must say. And uh, he, uh, I said, like physically, how difficult did you find that race? And he went, not at all. He said, I don't know if the young guys struggle, but I'm absolutely fine. So another bit of uh, Fernando Alonso uh, self-adulation. But uh, yeah, very good display, I think, from him. I think Ocon, I mean, did well to get a few points, particularly given the penalty. I think that, yeah, I don't really see how there's any any justification, really. I thought the five-second penalty was, was completely justified for the, the move on Sonoda. I don't think he can really argue against that, to be honest. And I think for McLaren, yeah, it was one of those weekends. Obviously, they got the new update on the car. They need to do some work to fully understand it. And these things always take time. We saw that with Alpha Tauri. Gasly had an absolute stinker on Saturday and Sunday after saying on Friday, oh, actually, we're looking really good. And then by contrast, Sonoda... He yeah, he qualified in Q3. Reckons he probably would have scored some points today had it uh, had he not had that clash with Ocon. So uh, yeah, it's um, I think that midfield fight is really shaping up nicely. I think Alpine and McLaren they're taking such different approaches to updates as well. Alpine have kind of gone for lots of little bits, whereas McLaren have gone for the big package in Spain, the big package here as well. And uh, yeah, I think for Ricardo as well again a step behind Norris but another couple of points on the board as well which I think that it's not the results we want to see from him but it's still uh, it's still better it's still like okay that's a couple of races in a row now in the points so small positives to be taken there uh, yeah, Zach Brown afterwards tweeting, uh, hey, double points finish. Uh, we move on kind of, I can't remember, it's not on my screen, but, you know, we move forward, we fight the next one, et cetera, et cetera. So a bit of congratulations. And then, uh, you know, Monday morning comes around back at the factory. We've got to improve those um, vehicles. Matt, let me ask you a little bit about uh, drivers for next year. I don't know if this class is a silly season yet. We've seen talk of Vettel to the second seat at McLaren, which Vettel said, oh, that'd be interesting. What with me having uh, not said anything and, uh, and Daniel Ricciardo, Andrea Seidel coming out after the race today, appearing to you know fully back Ricciardo and saying, no, I want him in the car, and, which is kind of a very open statement of support in 2023. And, you know, all those things can't be good for just getting your head down and, and moving forward to the future. So, Matt, how are you reading that situation, sort of the, uh, the driver market next year? Well, it shouldn't be uncertainty on his part. He has a contract until the end of next year, so... Two parts that one, he obviously had that blunder. Was it about Spain time where he said, "Oh, we're we're going to sit down and talk about it at the end of the year," and he didn't mean that, and he corrected himself. But obviously, that sort of projected it into the limelight a lot about his his future. And then you've had you've had the other bits of context now, which is obviously Zach Brown coming out uh, with the, with that statement saying we need to see more from him. That that's that's about as on the nose as you get, especially from Zach Brown. He's quite a good, uh, quite uh, uh, a neutral kind of guy. Uh, uh, and then and then the other point is you've got this expanding McLaren driver pool as a you know IndyCar and Formula E that you've got people who are McLaren drivers, not McLaren IndyCar. F- drivers or McLaren Formula E drivers so that allows a bit of speculation to come obviously we've had Alex uh, uh, Palau's uh, contract extension this week where he's a McLaren driver now from Chip Ganassi he's not a McLaren IndyCar driver or Arrow, Arrow McLaren and then uh, Colton Herter testing testing the F1 car as well at Portimao expensively none of it helps but like you say Seidel seems fairly pro him staying uh, Norris was asked about it as well and he, he didn't sort of uh, he, he didn't 
like absolutely definitively say it has to be Ricardo next year, but he says they get on well. And it, it comes back to that debate. Is is Ricardo having a particular stinker? Mm, potentially. And I also think this result flatters him a bit. There was a, obviously a massive gap to Norris again, but, you know, uh, through through sort of the crashes for Ocon and Sonoda and Stroll and whatever, that, that they've been allowed to finish back to back. But um, there is, sorry, the, the wider element of how good is Norris and is that why this talk about Ricardo has come to fruition is because he's, he's so, uh, so, so far ahead. Uh, I, I like the Vettel rumor though. I, I didn't see that one coming. I think there's, there's absolutely nothing to it. I don't see why when they had this congested pool of young up and coming talent, you know, Herter and, and Pato Ward as well. Why, why you'd, you turn to Vettel who, who more than likely will stay, stay at Aston Martin, but it's always good fun when those ones come out. Uh, uh, yeah, there, there's always good fun. It, it, takes you about 30 seconds to consider all the pros and cons but it's 30 seconds that I suppose could be worth spent. Key, when you said Pat O'Ward there you made it sound like an Irish farmer called Pat O'Ward I enjoyed that but no you're you're on the money I think silly season is uh, definitely starting to ramp up now I think we've got to look at what uh, yeah Piastri is obviously central to it Ricardo's future central to it I agree I don't personally see Vettel to McLaren I, I don't think that's a, a realistic thing my my gut feeling is Ricardo will be there next season, but let's see how this silly season does play out. Logan Sargent, is he maybe coming into the picture as well with Williams? Obviously, Doralton, an American company, getting an American in the car. The next few weeks, I think, are going to be really spicy for silly season, so definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, I will, picking up on Vettel, it's worth noting him and Stroll nearly had like a really, really close run in together at the final corner on the final lap. And like Stroll completely cut across Vettel to keep 10th place and get that final point. So um, not sure it'll cause too much friction at Aston, but it was definitely a bit of a talking point after the race. So if anyone can go and find, uh, yeah, well worth watching the onboards there because Vettel pretty much had Stroll and then Stroll just chops across and goes, nope, that point's mine. I did watch the onboard of that and Stroll just didn't get on the throttle coming out of the final corner and Vettel, surprised Vettel, I think you say, cut across him and uh, and, and, and ner- nerfing off the boss's son on the very final corner who was going to get a point in a Grand Prix. Never very good. But anyway, uh, Q, I'll let you have your say and then Jess. I think it was quite deliberate from Stroll. He just parked it on the apex, didn't he? Just to, because Vettel had sort of come uh, cut across the apex, so he was going to be back on the power alley and have that potential run to the line. And I think Stroll actually quite smartly covered him off to, to preserve the points. Like, nah, I'm going to kill your momentum. Uh, but interesting, interesting. Not Nothing to, uh, to spend too much time on, but sort of fair play to Aston that there wasn't a call saying, you know, I won't do it. I won't do the accent, but you know, going, "Hey, Sebastian, this is Lawrence." Just uh, if you know what's good for you, just back off a little bit. I was, I was pleased to see there was none of that. In a way, Stroll was a little lucky that it was Vettel behind him when he was doing that because it was super close. And Vettel's reaction times—I mean, I know it's weird talking about Vettel as a as an old timer, but um, the reactions certainly haven't haven't gone. Um, because he was able to adapt real quick to that. But the, I mean, there's still rumours about whether Vettel's going to continue or not. He's been very vocal about whether, you know, he races in Formula 1 to win and it's been a very long time now since his last win and Aston don't seem to be any closer to to getting any victories or even podiums at this point. I mean, they, they were both fighting for the final point, even though five other cars retired from the race. That's, that's you know, I don't think that's something that they're going to necessarily be celebrating. Um, and I mean, I know maybe we shouldn't kind of put, any weight to any rumours that maybe other media outlets that we share the paddock with push out but there seems to be a a strong inclination that maybe Vettel won't be here next year because he's got better things to do like save the world and we need him 
for that. The future of humanity uh, requires Sebastian Vettel to do uh, to do his bit. Uh, but I, no, one of the reasons that I love him is that he we saw him leaving Austria on his bicycle and then stopping for loads of pictures with fans and kids and having loads of time. And he doesn't need to do that. Uh, and a bit like you know, reasons why we love great heroes and sports people. Rachel Brooks from Sky uh, tweeted out a picture of Charles Leclerc, who had obviously had one of the most awful moments of his season and on his way to the pen to do all the media interviews and that rigmarole of talking to us a lot was stopping to have pictures taken with kids and a smile on his face and she put a picture of him uh, just stopping to have and it's like when people do this drivers like that and like Vettel it's great to have them in the sport but you want to you want to see him competitive anyway uh, right last couple of uh, things to talk about um Luke I'll come back to you um just to talk about that uh, that development battle as we talk about uh, Alpha Tauri one team uh, one car finished for them Williams one car finished Alpha Romeo one car finished Haas one car finished if you look at Alpha Romeo in the first six races Bottas scored 38 points in the last six races he scored only 8 the development race has changed so much over the course of this season so far. How do you see that lower half of the midfield playing out now, heading towards the summer break? Yeah, it has. And I think we always knew, given the new nature of these regulations, that you're going to make big gains. Like if you bring a big package and it works, then it's going to give you a big step forward. And I think we've seen the teams largely who've kind of held off and been more conservative in their approach to updates. They've paid the price for that. We've seen that with Alpha Tauri. I mean, Gasly said, he, yeah, I think over Silverstone in Austria, how desperate he was to finally get the update. Got it. Friday, absolutely flying, really, really happy. And then come Saturday, he said, no, it's absolutely terrible. And it feels like a different car and had a, a pretty shocking weekend. Um, then you uh, you look at Haas, for example, you've barely touched that car with major updates since the start of the season. And yet they've been able to unlock more and more pace and find more time and make these steps forward and still score points. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting uh, swing back and forth. We've got Haas will bring their update package to Hungary. And uh, Kevin Magnus has already said he's quite anxious, actually, to see what that package does. Because if you remember back in 2019, Haas had a really good start. Then they brought an update package for the car in Spain and it completely ruined it to the point that come Silverstone, they were back to the original spec car that they had in testing. So it really does swing back and forth. Um, Alfa Romeo, they're in the same boat, sort of waiting on updates, basically. I uh, spoke to Joe after the race, and he said, yeah, he said, basically, this is kind of where we are right now. We're, we're outside of the points. We're struggling to keep up with the other midfield teams. So it's gonna, it's just going to keep swinging back and forth, I think. I think Williams, they sound pretty upbeat. I mean, Nicholas Satifi, not a great weekend, but actually he was very positive in speaking in the pen after the race and said, yeah, there's a good chance to, uh, yeah, I think make some steps forward with this. Alex Albon, he said they can aim for Q2 on a regular basis now. So I think that all the way through that sort of lower half of the field, it's looking like everyone's got something to either look forward to or reasons to be positive right now. And I think that it's exciting. Like, I know we focus so much on the fight at the front, but I think that development battle through the midfield and sort of lower half of the season, I think that's going to be a really good one to follow and to watch because I think we could still see some decent swings in the pecking order. Absolutely. Right. Uh, as we finish off, we head towards Hungary next. Not long to wait. That's only a week away. Uh, and then we head into the summer break where I'm sure... Obviously, all Formula One journalists are sitting on a beach for four weeks uh, with a cold drink in their hand. But uh, but Matt, you will be uh, Matt. You, I presume you'll be in Hungary because you're at uh, you're in the UK uh, this this weekend. Looking forward to the battle uh, next weekend as it resumes in just a few days' time. Absolutely, yeah. I'll be uh, reuniting with uh, with Luke Smith at Stansted Airport in a couple of days to head out to Hungary. I'm looking looking forward to to that one. Um, 
Again, uh, th- in, uh, go back a couple of years ago, that's a Red Bull track, but I think from the certain tracks, it might be a Ferrari track uh, to see if see what they can do. And it, you know, it always offers that glimmer of hope if they can get a win. And then, uh, Martin, you're damn right. The week after that, I'm going to be sat by a pool with a pint, and I cannot wait. But before that, when you get off the plane from Hungary, I'm going to snaffle at all of you for some podcast recordings before you go on your holiday. But uh, anyway, um, and um, uh, Jess, as we as we head towards the summer break. Oh, it's time to sort of look back a little bit, isn't it? And take stock on the season we've had so far. And there's almost a sense of, of disappointment, I think, that there's, it's not a closer battle at the front, but also uh, some admiration that, uh, that Max is uh, a world championship season he's having. How are you feeling as we approach the halfway point? Um, I want to be optimistic because, yes, as you say, it's time for reflection. And, you know, I think for the most part, we've had some really interesting races so far this season. Um, it's 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 always interesting when we have a new new era of Formula One as to, you know, what how has actually it played out. I think we've got some videos planned to give our views on have the new regs worked and, and how are they going to potentially move forward into the second half of the season. So there'll be plenty of content coming out, even if we are going to go... Uh, go without racing for a few weeks um but yeah i think it's there's 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 still there's so many narratives that are still weaving their way through which will keep should keep us entertained but i think i mean i said this a few weeks ago but i can't help but thinking this is max verstappen's championship to lose now and like if if i know max is very very pragmatic about it and keeps saying well we've still got so many races to go but it goes back to that that element of yes there's a possibility that they could throw it all away but but the but the probability is that they're not and you know I hope that we do go into Hungary and Ferrari bring it all together and it does prove to be a Ferrari track and and they get the the points that they need but I think it's just a scramble of too little too late I hope I'm proved wrong I just can't see it happening I can't I can't see I can't see Ferrari recovering this to be honest I think they've had they've had too many um, mistakes or fumbles or things not going their way or tracks that haven't suited their car and we've got to this point where arguably yes they do have the better package but they seem to have a load of issues internally that they've not quite squared away yet and I think Max and Red Bull do not give leeway for that Absolutely. Looking forward to those videos uh, that, that, that uh, you'll be putting out. And finally, Luke, I hope that whilst you've been recording, uh, your Airbnb flatmate Alex Kalanorkis has cooked you a hearty, nutritious meal rather than getting on with his driver ratings. No, but I'm going to put myself together a caprese salad once we finish recording, which I am thoroughly looking forward to. And uh, I know, I know, it's been a very, very, to quote our esteemed colleague Stuart Codling, a highly convivial race weekend. Uh, I must say, poor Ricard, it's, uh, it's a track that's had a lot of criticism. It's not going to be on the calendar next year from everything we know. Does it provide great racing? Not really. Is the traffic situation always pretty bad? Yes, it is. Was the coffee very good? No, it wasn't. The priorities here, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, France is a, is a country that obviously has such a rich heritage of motorsport. And I think it's something that I think it's somewhere we will come back to in the future. And it's somewhere that's always got to be on Formula One's radar in terms of having a sort of a, a presence in. So I think it's going to be interesting what they do moving forward. But uh, yeah, it's been I've done three, three Port Ricard 
races and I think this has definitely been my favourite one in terms of the all round sort of event and everything and uh, yeah it's been uh, it's been pleasant it's been nice to spend a bit of time in France uh, it's been very very hot as hot as it was when we left it in the UK just with the benefit of aircon and uh, I believe in Budapest uh, next week it is going to be a similar kind of temperature sort of 33-34 degrees so uh, Matt Hugh, I hope you have packed your shorts we look forward to one more race then the summer break thank you for listening to the Autosport Auto podcast today uh, if you like what we do here you can always drop by Apple Podcasts or iTunes leave us a, a five star rating review uh, and some words if you like you can email us podcast at autosport.com I want to say thank you very much to everyone who emailed after uh, the podcast uh, where Jess and Megan had their uh, view uh, to put across on what happened with some of the fan abuse in Austria and I really appreciate uh, all the emails that you sent in uh, they were very well worded um, so uh, it would makes a break from the uh, normal um, cesspool that is social media comments uh, for the Autosport podcast listeners to send. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Things so considered. Thank you. Podcast at Autosport.com is our email address. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Feeling stuck in your current job? Looking for a career pivot? Are you a proven leader looking to step up? The University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business prepares students to meet challenges, solve problems, and obtain a profound understanding of how to operate in the modern economy. With MBA and MS programs offering flexible options to fit your lifestyle and goals. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more today at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired. Fearless. Unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.